0: Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, we got a fun one today, we got a great one today. It's the case thief. What do you do when you're a doctor and another doctor is just taking all the cases and what do they do that dirty thing where they set up a deal with the front desk and what if it's their way or the highway? We wade into a really good one this episode. I think you'll like it. Guys, uh, thanks for being here, first of all. Second of all... If you are enjoying the podcast, if you like what we do, maybe you should be a member of Uncharted. We've got a ton of stuff going on. We have got a six module inventory management class starting on January 24th and running through April. It's got all, it's got all the things. It's got it's six modules. It's uh, got everything that you need. It's got a clear syllabus laid out. It's got all the tools, the dashboards, the things that you need to make sure that your inventory is running smooth and efficiently. On February 11th, we kick off our first ever practice manager summit. That's right, it's only for practice managers. Only practice managers can attend, but it is practice managers talking about practice manager things and handling practice manager problems and talking about their practices that they manage and uh, helping each other out and lifting each other up. we got workshops for that. We've got our Choose Your Own Adventure sessions where we make sessions uh, just for the attendees based on what the attendees want. Um, it's gonna be fan flippantastic. That is um, open to the public as well. You can head over to unchartedvet.com and check it out. I'll put links down below but inventory management class starting soon uh free to uncharted members uh i think it's $2.99 for all six modules for the public and then the uh practice manager summit coming up in february is a reduced price for members Uh, i think it's $3.99 for practice managers that are not members check it out i'll put the link for that down below as well and without further ado let's get into this episode
1: and now the uncharted podcast
0: and we are back. It's me and Stephanie. I'm the queen bee, like Beyonce. Goss. <laughs>
1: How's it going, Andy?
0: Oh, so good, so good. Good. Um, yeah, loving it. Lo- loving how it's going. We got a good one today. I'm I'm ready. Uh, let's jump
1: straight into it. All right, let's do it. I'm excited about this one. Uh, all right, queen Queen Bee. We have we got an email in the mailbag from Dazed and Confused. Yep. Days and Confuse is a new grad and their email said so i'm a new grad and first of all i want to say that uncharted vet and cone of shame podcasts have made a huge impact on me as i navigate my first year in practice thank you for what you guys do the medical advice has been so beneficial and the discussions about culture and practice management have really encouraged me and given me hope for the future Good. You should have hope for
0: the future. Yeah. There's, there's no reason not to have hope for the future. This is gonna. It's you got you got a great career ahead of you.
1: Absolutely. A new grad is in a difficult job situation. So when people ask me how I, how it's going, I say that it's a great first job, but it's not my dream job. There are a lot of very serious issues at this clinic that I've considered writing to you about, but there's one that has been particularly challenging for me to deal with. We are a very busy multi doctor practice they are walk-in only practice and they're yep. in a rural area. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Yep. Lots of hustle. Yep. So one of the doctors is the Queen Bee, <laughs> the unspoken Queen Bee. Uh, mm-hmm. She is very, extremely aggressive. She's been working at the clinic for 15 plus years and although she's not the owner or the manager, she is the unspoken Queen Bee and in tra- large and in charge in this yep. uh, hospital. She has an empire of loyal clients but she still feels the need to aggressively steal clients and surgeries from myself and the other new grad, the other new grad and I are striving for a teamwork environment, but the queen bee helps no one but herself. I'm suspicious that she may actually be bribing the reception team to give her cases and surgeries. She throws temper tantrums in front of the staff and the clients. She takes up multiple exam rooms at once and will sometimes kick other doctors clients out of their rooms while they're waiting for their blood results so that she can use them. And she, she has run off several other doctors in the past from this practice. To top it all off, it was recently discovered that she's been stealing money from the clinic because she has been adding products and services to her production that she's not supposed to be paid for, and it has added up to thousands of dollars over the last few months. The practice owners and the practice managers know all of this, but no one has confronted her about it to, to Dazed and Confuse's knowledge. It seems like everyone is afraid of her and... And uh, dazed and confused doesn't understand. They said, "I know that this is not my forever job, but I would love some insight and advice about my role in all of this and how to continue working in this environment." Sincerely, dazed and confused.
0: Yeah, my advice is don't. You <laughs> uh, don't. I'm sorry. Like this is a uh, this is a zombie practice. Yeah. This practice is dead and still on its feet. And that may sound harsh. But that's that's what I believe. Um. Okay, so let's let's <laughs> That's talk it, about <laughs> yeah. And uh, what else you got? In the and mailbag? done. Uh, so, uh, so okay, so let let's let's talk about this because yeah. I, I have. I have seen this. Mm-hmm. Queen B is one way I've heard. I've heard this said before. Uh, generally, this is this is a case a case thief writ large. Yep, and that's that's a classic. So let's hold on. Let's zoom out and look at the bigger picture here. Okay, veterinarians are commonly paid uh, on production, or whether you call it pro sale, where they have a base and they also get paid production, or blah 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 blah. You know, but but yep. Uh, Production is often factored in the compensation of um, of veterinarians. And I have thought a lot about this and I have wrestled with this a lot. There's things that, and let me just say, I'll be candid and say, I have been paid this way, uh, you know, at, at pretty much every practice that I've been to. That has been how the veterinarians are paid is they look at, you know, what we do and how many mm-hmm. cases we see and blah, blah, blah. And that affects our compensation. And so I have been paid this way. I have some internal things that I pay attention to for myself. And if there's ever anything that I don't like discussing in front of clients, it makes me stop and question why that is or why I do it. You know what I mean? And so that's sort of an internal moral compass for me. So one of my favorite sayings is integrity above all else. Mm -hmm. And if I don't like the idea of my clients knowing how I'm compensated, that bothers me. And so I, I'm i just being really honest about, about production-based conversations. I don't think I really like the idea of clients knowing that. And it makes me question whether or not I, I really feel good good about how we do it. And I've kind of worked it around in my head to say we've always acted ethically. The benefits of paying doctors this way is that people who work hard and jump in and put in the extra hours and who work up their cases, Mm -hmm. they get compensated. We created positive reinforcement for taking the extra case, taking the walk in, squeezing the person in at the end of the day, things like that. I had a I was talking to a practice owner one time and he had a fairly large practice and I asked him how he paid his doctors and he said, you know, I've done both ways. I've done a salary and I've also done some production. And I said, well, ultimately you landed on production. How, How did you land there? And he said, Andy, here's the difference. When I paid people on salary, at the end of the day, I had to go into the doctor's office and chase people out to get them to go see rooms. And when I paid them on production, I didn't have to go chase them out of the doctor's office at the end of the day. They were already seeing the rooms. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's experience that a lot of people have had. Uh, so so I'm just kind of laying down the the groundwork for sort of moral thoughts on production based compensation because they do come into play here so it, it, is, it is a common thing it's not wrong uh, a lot of people do it I think it's it's honestly largely the industry standard uh, yeah I, I, we, we did a whole podcast episode on it yeah we did yeah so so that that's that's just true so that that is, is there's a thing that it exists like that. one of my critiques of production based compensation is that I do think it has been used in a lot of places as a crutch where we have people who don't want to manage, let's say that we have a doctor who's a practice owner and never really wanted to be a business owner necessarily, or doesn't really have interest in managing people or things like that. Then paying on production is a way of getting people to go see rooms and, uh, and work up cases without you having to directly manage them. You're trying to create a system that, uh, that aligns their, what benefits them with what benefits the practice. Right. And so that is, that is kind of how this comes. Okay. So that, that, that often happens, and that's just sort of generally how, how the production base sort of sets up. I also believe that some people are not wired in a way where they can be paid on production. Yeah. There are some people who um, they just can't handle it. They become that production-based, you know, um, salesperson. That harasses the heck out of you. You know what I mean? The one that we all despise yep. when we walk in and we know this person is getting paid on commission and they bother us. And there are people who do that. And and I choose not to say this person is bad. I have no idea what's going on with this person. You know, everyone's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. Maybe this person's got medical bills. Maybe they're supporting a family member. You know, I have no idea. Right. It helps me to believe that people are good and just say, I I don't know why they're behaving this way, but there are people who behave this way and they can kill your practice. And I think that that sounds like what what has happened here.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that it can be very toxic. It can also be healthy. I. Um, You know, when when you talk about managing so that you don't have to manage them, that definitely for me falls at the toxic end of the spectrum. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I have a, I have myself have been paid on, on production in veterinary practice as a technician. Um, I am a fan of getting paid for the hard work that I put in. um, And I know that I've worked with a lot of doctors who feel the same way. And from a manager perspective, I love the fact that it inspires ownership in people, I find that doctors tend to think about things more from an owner perspective and have reward for taking on, like you said, that the extra shouldering a little bit of that extra. And I think that that can be a really positive thing. But in the wrong mind framed person, it can be very Mm -hmm. negative. It's like when you have a team of super, um, super uncompetitive people and you have that ultra competitive person on the team um, Mm -hmm. That that's what you have here you have someone who's ultra competitive and who is acting in a way that seems perfectly normal for them because they're ultra competitive and they are surrounded by a team of people that sound not ultra competitive and having been a manager working in that environment like when you try and do it and do something and take initiative or start a new program or whatever if you try and gamify things and make it competitive the competitive person in that kind of environment is Overwhelming and overpowering, and that mm-hmm. was the first thing that I thought of when I when I read through this was oh this is the team of like quiet introverts who don't like to play games and don't like to compete against each other and they they're in it for the teamwork and there's the one person who is in it for the guts and the glory and that's what's happening here <laughs> like yep. this is a misalignment of values and that is a problem. <laughs>
0: I do I, so I completely agree with that we all know that person. I think yeah. we all know this person. Tell me yeah. tell me if we all know this person. Yes. <laughs> we. In my life, yes. there have been a number of people that I have known who I quickly learned we cannot do anything remotely competitive around this person because they can't handle it. You know what I mean? Like they just go to the mat yes. in touch football. You know what I mean? Or like in scrap, they make Scrabble not fun because they are getting real bent out of shape. That you know, quiz quiznell is not actually a word. Like yeah. they're getting really, really upset. <laughs> you know, um, we we all have people that. So so let me so let me put these two things together, right? So you're right. There is, I think, the competitive part is a great way to look at this. Is you have someone who is a competitor, and they are going hard in the paint mm-hmm. with with. With their friends, you know, like we're all together. We're all friends. But this person is going hard in the paint to get the cases, to get the revenue, to get the things. This is not a person who's going to play a friendly game. And if you have someone who's not capable of playing a friendly game, uh, you really can't play a game with that person. But this practice is going on. The other analogy that I'll throw in, this is a little bit of a dicey analogy, but so let me let me couch it and then say it is true. So I I am very much a capitalist. I believe I love uh, I love I love that we run businesses. I love that people who work hard get rewarded. Like I I, that's a that's a a thing for me. I very much believe that people who do good work and run good businesses and take care of their people get ahead. And and so I like that part of capitalism. I will 100 percent admit that unfettered capitalism is bad. Right. Like having a capitalist system and just being like, just go. And I'm talking about not breaking up monopolies. I'm talking about not making exceptions for healthcare. and people just the rich get richer and richer and they buy up all the resources. You know what I mean? And uh, and the poor get poorer and, and just can't get up because they just get pounded down by those who have already succeeded. Right. I s- that that's the point that I'm trying to make here is once you have a system like this, and you have a doctor that gets in there and they have established clients, and especially when they start having these relationships with the front desk, which is unethical AF. Yes, but uh, but it happens. Oh yeah, this and it's a and I've we, I think when we talked before about production, I mentioned that that is a classic deal with the front desk.
1: Yeah, this is not the first email that we've gotten about.
0: About that, that is a dirty, nasty trick. I think people should get come down on like a uh, come down on them like a hammer uh, when you catch that uh, happening because you cannot let that get established in your practice. Uh, it's just it signals. Um, It signals things below the surface that you do not want and Mm -hmm. you need to pounce on it. But once it's there, it's it's bad. And so I feel like we've gotten this sort of uh, capitalism gone awry system Mm -hmm. where this person's got a clientele. They've uh, essentially made deals with the front desk there. You know, they've got this power Mm -hmm. and they're just using it to to get farther ahead and kind of keep down other people and make their lives harder. Um, And and so those are the two analogies I put forward. And both of them seem to be at play here in this practice so this is this is bad and i'm not putting the real elephant in the room forward yet we're going to hold back on the stealing (laughs) from the practice for a little bit because that makes this real easy but but we'll it makes it too easy so i'm going to leave that off the table for right now and let's just talk about what we've got Mm -hmm. so those are the things that i see going on in my mind this is a zombie practice this practice has died and it is shambling along Mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways. So let's talk about what do you do if you're dazed and confused, right? Let's talk about being the newbie doctor, first year doctor who's in this practice. And, um, and how do you handle this? So you want to start breaking it down the way that we do? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with headspace. I, I feel good about this person, uh, not knowing, having any idea who they are. I feel good about them. Because they said, I know this is my first job, and it's, you know, and it's a good first job, but it's not my dream job. I'm like, you, my friend, have your head on straight and I feel good about you. Agreed. And so that makes me happy. You've got a clear perspective. This is your first job and it is not a perfect job. And if you're getting in there and you're getting reps, you're getting cases, you're learning. If the other doctors, because it's a five doctor practice, the other doctors are doing good medicine. If you're seeing a high volume of cases, you are getting what you need out of your first job. As long as you are growing as a doctor and getting better, uh, there is an Achilles heel here, but this is not catastrophic failure for you at all. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, uh, you are going to learn from this and you're going to look back on it and it's going to have made you better. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of times a lot of times we learn our best lessons from bad jobs and bad bosses. And this doctor is going to come out having seen some stuff and hopefully having some uh, clear thoughts about what types of practices they want to work in and what types of practices they want to help create and facilitate.
1: Well, I mean, talk about a great learning experience. You're in a rural area, which having currently living in a rural area and having practiced for the last five years in in a very rural area, you deal with all of the things. You get to see all of the things. You deal with all of the things because most of the time you don't have the luxury of saying there's an ER clinic, Five minutes down the road. We're going to send you over there. You just, you, you deal. So as a new, as a new grad, you have an incredible opportunity to probably see lots of things that you might not see in other areas, as well as being a walk-in model. You are probably seeing significantly more urgent and prompt care kind of stuff, which as a new grad, every single new grad that I have ever interviewed has been like, when am I going to get to do my first GDV? <laughs> <Yep. laughs> I like, they're just so excited to do all the zebras right like they want to do the fun stuff and when you're in a rural environment and you are in particularly in a prompt care uh hospital model or walk-in clinic model you have opportunities to do lots of other things so i think i i agree with you 100 this person has their head on straight and they have a they have the option to look at it from a positive perspective and think about the things that they had had the opportunity to learn and and may continue to have the opportunity to learn in this environment that they wouldn't necessarily get in another job, which is which is awesome. Yep, I agree. The the second
0: part of that space is you can only control what you can control. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is when we get to places like this, especially as an associate vet, one of the superpowers you have to develop is the ability to let go and say, this is not my circus and these are not my monkeys. And I am not the boss of Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I do not have any power and she is well established and she has a big clientele and I do not. And she has a relationships and I do not. I do not have I, I do not have the power here. And so part of that is acceptance and saying, OK, what do I have the power over and how do I use that? Because. You do have options. You always have options. Yep. And so, do not feel powerless because you always have an option, even if that option is just leaving. Mm-hmm. and It is still an option, especially if you're a doctor in today's market and economy. You can have another job in about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you just can. And so, you do not need to feel trapped here. You've always got that option. There there may be other options. I'm not optimistic about them, and I'll, and I'll and I'll I'll lay that down now. But um. But you and I, Stephanie, when we started talking about this, we both went immediately to control what you can control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last the last part of Headspace for me is I think that we need to unpack shifting baseline a little bit. Okay? So sh- shifting baseline is sort of a behavioral psychology uh, phenomenon where normalcy gets warped in organizations sometimes. Here's what I mean. Imagine that you work at a, at a vet practice and everybody shows up on time. Mm-hmm. And then some people start to show up like three, three, they're just three, four minutes late. Not even five minutes late, but they're three, or four minutes late. And then it becomes normal. As long as you're here within five minutes of when you're supposed to be here, you're not late. Mm-hmm. And that becomes normal, right? We've all seen that happen before where on time is not on time. Yep. Five minutes late is on time, right? Like we've all seen that creep. That does not happen. And that is not the case the first day. That is a creep. Well, then what happens is you have someone who runs a little bit later. And, you know, and they're always just a little bit slower getting out of the house because they know that extra five minutes is OK. And then now they're seven minutes. late, Right. You know, and nobody says anything. And then we all kind of notice that, hey, you know, maybe maybe it's 10 minutes. And then as a doctor, you start to go, maybe it's just when the technician has my first appointment set up. <laughs> That's probably like 12 <laughs> minutes. And now late is 15 minutes after what you said it was supposed to be. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And. If you, the first week you were hired, just showed up 15 minutes late, somebody would have said something. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But you didn't. You showed up three minutes late. And then you showed up five minutes late. And then eight minutes late. That shifting baseline where you creep normalcy. You see this with bullies. No one hires a bully. And Mm -hmm. has them act like a bully in the first three months. Right. That doesn't happen. They just have a little bit of an attitude, just a little bit. And they have a little bit more of an attitude. And then maybe they get a little bit more direct. And then maybe they start using a little bit harsher language, just a little bit harsher language. And and someday you look around and go, how in the hell did we get here? Right. This toxic person is ruining everything for all of us. And, And how did this become? You didn't hire her that way or him that way. Yeah. They became that way. And you didn't say anything because it was a creep. That shifting baseline. Okay, so when we talk about Queen B, case thief, she was not that way when she showed up. I bet, but she has been slowly creeping up her aggressiveness. I'm sure you. She did not set up the thing with the front desk, right? <laughs> uh, you know, right. When she first got here, but that crept that way and crept that way, and then she was doing kind of shady stuff with the front desk. And then, uh, if she, I mean, if it's true that she was uh, embezzling, you know, then that's uh, then that's even more of a creep than that. But this person has crept and all of these things, you know, have slowly built. So you've got this person who's probably had a very long, slow slide towards the behavior that you're seeing now. Mm -hmm. And because it's been long uh, incoming, she's got a very established clientele. Which means that now she has a lot of value to the practice. And you better believe the owners and the manager are like, oh, she's our mo- highest producing doctor by far. We can't let her go. And this behavior has been established. And they're like, this is not new. We've been seeing this is normal for us. Right. Because of shifting baseline. All of those things together, in my mind, create great inertia, which is why I said, you don't fix this. That's why I said this practice is dead on its feet. Mm-hmm. Is And maybe I'm cynical and, and you can talk me out of it. And It's not in my nature to not be optimistic. I've just seen this too many times. I don't think this problem gets fixed. I think if it was going to get fixed, it would have gotten fixed before now. I think the fact that we have gone this far to this point, And when you throw on, so if someone is doing something as much as like charging for services they didn't do or adding things to pad their compensation uh, and... They're still there after this has come to light. I'm sorry. This falls into my category of when someone shows you what they are, believe them. This queen bee has shown everyone what she is. And the management has shown you, Dazed and Confused, that they're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Like they they have shown that clearly to you. And at some point, this is on you because everyone has shown you who they are, you know, and and you, you have to say, in my opinion, you have to say everyone has been open. About what how how they're going to act, and now it's on me to make my decision of how I'm going to behave given these realities. And I I taught me down, Stephanie. Am, am I am I being awful? Am I am I a horrible person here?
1: No, you're not. And I I agree with you ninety nine percent. And mm-hmm. here here's where I differ. I would say that just from a from a manager perspective and from an HR perspective, um, two days and confused. Uh, she, you know, they said the practice owners and the manager know about this, but no one has confronted her about it. It could be no one has confronted her about it that you know of. And I would say that with a very large caveat because if you're talking about something like a theft from a practice, there is. St- There is no fundamental difference between taking money straight out of the cash drawer up front and changing items that are excluded in your contract and putting them under use so that you get paid production and just hoping no one notices. There are no fundamental differences between those two things, but the way that those two things are dealt with are often dealt with very differently from a HR and legal perspective. And so I would give the caveat that there could be wheels turning in the background that you are not aware of. However, as a manager, I would say that if something like this comes to light, I absolutely would drop the hammer swift and hard and have a conversation with my whole team that is, this is Just so everybody knows, if this was never made clear to you, know that this is clear from this moment forward, crystal clear. The expectation is no one on this team, with the exception of the practice owners and the practice manager or whoever it is in your practice, is allowed to make changes, discounts, changes to charges, choose not to choose choose uh charge for services, change who gets credit for things. The system is set up the way that it is for a reason, and if anyone is found uh you know to be changing those things, understand that that is a fireable offense. That conversation would actually absolutely be taking place with my team if this was my practice. However, there would probably also be things that were happening in the background that from a legal perspective or from a a privacy HR perspective that I would not necessarily discuss or disclose with the whole staff so for me my Mm -hmm. my only thought was for dazed and confused like if this was me if I was in their shoes I would want to have a conversation with the practice manager or the practice owners knowing that they are the ones who can do something about it and just ask point blank what is being done to deal with this situation because if their answer to me is, we can't discuss details with you, but please know that we are working on the situation, I might, as days and confused, go about my next step A little bit more patiently than if Mm. their answer is yes we know we don't know what to do about it or we're not doing anything about it it is what it is if they give you a zombie answer it's Mm. very easy to say okay i know what my next step is i'm i'm gonna move on thank you for your time i you know i appreciate it but if they if they are working on it and they just can't talk about it. I would want to know that as a person. So my next step would be to have that conversation with them. And at the same time, I could, I could understand where you or someone else may say there is no changing this. The stripes you, you have seen their stripes. They have shown you what they are. It's time to move on. So I, can, I can see both sides to that. That is such an excellent point. I'm really glad you said that.
0: that is exactly true. So and that does happen where there are things behind behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um. I remain very skeptical, but I completely agree. <laughs> I agree.
1: <laughs> agree. agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, no, because you're exactly right.
1: <laughs> like you would want, I would want that conversation to ha- be had with my team. And it's one of those ones where everybody knows who you're talking about, but you can't say who you're talking about, but everybody knows. Right. And like mm-hmm. that, but it's still a conversation that should, should be had. And, you know, from a, from a personal perspective, you know, I would probably struggle with feeling like. If I had had the opportunity to talk to the queen bee and not, and I would not, the theft decide if this was just an environment where this person was being ultra competitive and the rest of the group was trying to work together as a team on a personal level. Like I would want to have a conversation with that person and say, hey, when you do, when you have a meltdown in front of the team or when you ask my clients to leave an exam room while they're waiting for lab results so that you can use it, that puts me in a tight spot. And here's how that impacts me. And I need to know what we can do to work together to change this behavior moving forward. That's just my communication style. That's the kind of person I am. I would feel I would feel like I hadn't done everything that I could have done to walk away from that situation without having had those conversations. And I also recognize that my my communication style is not the same as a lot of people's. And so there are a lot of people who could feel perfectly fine walking away from the situation, never having addressed it directly with Queen Bee. And that's okay too. But just if you're one of those people who is sitting there going like, I really want to tell her off or I want to say something to her, I would feel the same way and I would have trouble quitting and giving up because I'm the kind of person who will be with it until the bitter end to say, I gave it my all. I did everything that I could possibly do. And now I can walk away from this and have a really clear conscience and feel good about I did everything that I could do. This is on them. It's not on me in any way, shape or form. Yeah.
0: This is where you and I differ. I have no problem not talking to this person and leave it. None. Zero. But and I totally okay. love. I love you. You know that, and I love that you would, and I love that you would feel like I need to say something to this person, and it needs to be said, and like I respect you for doing that. I have no interest in that. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and I'll, so, so, and I'll I'll give you my side here. Is I'm not her boss. Right. I'm not in charge of her. Um this is a management problem. Mm-hmm. They need to rain. they need to if you're going to run production based compensation which I think is fine as long as you referee it. Yep. It needs to be policed. Yep. You like uh, someone running the practice needs to shoot that front desk garbage down oh, yeah. and just pounce on that. That that cannot happen. That is unethical. That is wrong. And they need to be on it. And if someone starts uh, doing things that are uh, unethical like padding, you know, the numbers, you better believe that a person who behaves that way we'll behave unethically in other ways and guys we are in a cherished ethical profession like our our ethics they matter and they matter a lot, and so I am is not okay with that. But I put that on the management. Is your job to have these conversations and to police this person? And if you're not going to do it, I am going to take care of myself. But it is not my job to go and fight with this other doctor, and I'm not her boss, and I don't have any power, and she has the power to hurt me mm-hmm. and make my life miserable and turn the text against me and do these things. And so there are risks to me of confronting this person, and honestly. Based on what we're looking at, I don't see an upside. I'm not going to change your. I'm not going to change your behavior. I just. I don't believe that I am. And so for me, I think the conversation is with management. And I think you. You and I, you hit on this earlier. For me, besides the headspace, I'm going to say you know I'm going to control what I can control. I believe that this is an established pattern of behavior that is unlikely to change. And I'll tell you my impression and my experience of these things is uh, the only way this happens is if uh, Queen Bee gets fired. And I also suspect that is highly unlikely given her tenure and her production and what seems like unwillingness to to intervene before now. So, again, and and I may be making some assumptions here, but I'll tell you where my head is. And and that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. So my take on controlling what you can control is if if this was me, my look, my my outlook would be good first job, getting a lot of experience seeing a lot of cases, working with other doctors who are doing good medicine. I am going to get what I need out of this time. I'm going to do good work. I'm going to leave with a good letter of recommendation, uh, hopefully from from my practice. Mm -hmm. I am not going to burn bridges because you never know what will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. But I am going to be a good little soldier. I'm going to do my first year and I'm going to leave at the end of my first year, which is very common. Yeah. I will go to management and say, I just want to be honest with you. And this falls into um, the way it's been articulated that I like the most is Brene Brown saying, clear is kind. Mm -hmm. I want to be kind to everyone. I want to be kind to the practice that hired me and gave me this opportunity. Yep. And so me being kind to them is not surprising them when I disappear. Right. Me being kind to them as me saying, I'm not okay with this. You know, I'm seeing these cases go to this person. And I, I think that there's something set up where the front desk is funneling cases to this person that are lucrative. And I feel like I'm being financially hurt and I feel like I'm getting steamrolled. And I just want to be clear with you and let you guys know how I'm feeling and that this is not fun for me. And that's what I would say. and And then you have done the kind thing of telling them, and now the ball's in their court. And if they say to you, we know, we are, trust me when I say we are doing what we can and we hope to have this situation resolved soon. And I cannot say more than that. Then, as you said, that is going to buy some patience from me. Right. And if they go, well, we're sorry you feel that way, you know, like maybe we can talk to her. Then you kind of, you have said it. You have put the ball in their court. You're not surprising them, but you're, you're out. You know? Yeah. And so th- that's
1: that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the fact that Dazed and Confused came into this with their feet pretty solidly planted on mm-hmm. the ground, knowing that this is a first job. It's yep. not their forever job. I think that they should be able to give themselves some grace and permission to say, I'm going to call a spade a spade. Yep. (laughs) And, and I'm going to see, is this something I can control or not? And if the answer is I cannot control this, I have had the conversation. Nobody's going to do anything about this. Then, you know, now's the time. Because there are a million practices looking for, <laughs> for vets. And like you said at the beginning, Andy, you you will have no not a hard time in the slightest finding another position. And that's a good thing because you're going to get to experience something different and something else, you know, and and I think so many people in veterinary medicine struggle with that is like, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to leave where I live or I don't you know, I don't. But you still have a choice. Like the reality is if you're in a rural area and there's no other practices within a, you know, 50 mile radius, you can choose to stay at your practice because you don't want to leave where you live. But that is still a choice. And so yep. that's days and Confused has some hard work to do on their own to sit down and look at all of that and weigh that out and say, you know, do I want to stay here? Because that matters more to me than if that is the answer. That's OK, too. But you have to recognize the fact that you are making a conscious choice and you are choosing to live with things that you cannot control because like you said andy you know unless something really is going on and working behind the scenes the situation with queen v has been going on for quite some time Mm -hmm. is very likely not to change she's already run off multiple other doctors in the past the nothing in the behavior has given any indication that it's going to change and so at that point it's like well you know, do you choose to live with this or do you choose yep. to live without it? And that's still a choice. And choosing to live with it is still a choice, which is OK.
0: Mm-hmm. If you say this is a real area, my spouse is here or mm-hmm. my family is here and I'm right. not going to move. Then say, you know, then 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 your options become. And that has changed the math for me a bit is if there's not other places for me to go, Mm -hmm. because I guess my response was was based on the ability to go other places. If you really decide I I can't go somewhere else, I'm not going to go somewhere else. Then I think at some point you you do need to practice some acceptance and say this is what is being allowed to happen. And this person is going to do these things. And I need to try to be okay with that as, you know, or accepting of that up to a point. And then I think the the math for me changes a lot as far as having a conversation with Queen Bee, because mm-hmm. if I'm planning to stay or if I can't easily leave, I'm not going to be a doormat. Mm-hmm. And at some point you pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Do you want to not say anything to this person and feel taken advantage of? Or do you want to say to them, hey, you're not going to do this to me or this is not OK. Or I saw what you did and I want you to know that I it not OK. And And not cool. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And and if you are in a position where you're like, well, I'm not going to leave, then it may be that the thing you can control is do you confront her, this person directly? If management is not going to confront them Mm -hmm. and you're not going to leave, then it does fall to you to advocate for yourself. And it may be a thing where you stand up and say, this is not okay. And you're not going to do this to me. And I'm going to I'm going to set boundaries and I'm, I'm going to stand up for myself. And so I can see that that position. So that would change my decision about do I talk to this person or not? If I'm leaving. I, I wouldn't I I personally would not I would re- 100% respect other people who would that's that's just not how I would do about it um if, if I was going to stay I absolutely would have this conversation with this person because I I would not be able to just take it yeah. and get, and feel like I was getting robbed every day by this person who's doing shady stuff I I would I just, I, it wouldn't be much of a choice. I just, it's a thing that would have to happen. I agree. Cool, man. Thanks for having this conversation. I really yeah. appreciate
1: it. Yeah, this is a this is a good one. Good luck to Daisy and Confused.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> definitely. Take
0: care, guys. Have a great week. See you later, gang. Bye. Bye. And that's our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, please do all the things that podcasts ask you to do. Please rate and review it iTunes. That means the world to us. Please tell your friends. Please share the love. Please uh, write letters to uh, other people who might listen to the uh, show and uh, encourage them to... I feel like that's too much. How about just 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 write an honest review on iTunes and we'll call it even? How's that sound? Does that sound good? Let's do that. Guys, take it easy. I will see you next week. Bye.